Welcome to the BA Brew. I'm Debbie. I'm Pip. And I'm Jonathan. And on this particular episode, we're talking about the really interesting subject of stakeholders, something that is so important to business analysts everywhere. Pip, what do you, would you have something to say about stakeholders? I do. I think stakeholders are central to everything that we do. We're either talking to them, talking about them, thinking about them, trying to address their issues, trying to understand their perspectives. And I think it's the key to a, a successful project is understanding who they are and understanding what they need. Yeah, yeah. interesting, isn't it? I'm going to throw something in here. OK, let's start with the, the soapbox controversy. I don't like the word stakeholder. And the reason is because I think it categorizes everybody and we sometimes stop thinking that each individual is a person mm. with personal ideas, life context, et cetera, et cetera. So I have a real problem with the word stakeholder. It sort of dehumanizes that person, doesn't it? It's not very human centric, is it? We've got this actor or kind of a weird name that we're giving this person. The thing, the thing I think about when I hear the term stakeholder, though, I think about vampires and people holding a stake and that the, the stake is, is dangerous to the project. And I agree with successful, effective stakeholder management can be foundational for the success of the project. But by dehumanizing and, and I, I have an image of, of someone holding a stake that could stab you, I, I really don't think it's it's not a a word that means engagement or relationship building, right? It's not a positive term. So for me, stakeholder limits it to uh, an immediate impact. I feel like if you're a stakeholder, you are obviously involved or interested in some way. I think something that, you know, we all know that we have projects, large or small, that involve or will impact people far outside the people you would immediately think of. And so when I think of stakeholder, I think of the immediate impact and and other people I think do as well particularly outside of our of our profession I need to pick you up on management though Jonathan stakeholder management is such a horrible phrase <laughs> because whilst you are kebabbing people with your stakes actually we are managing them managing them and for me that's a very aggressive term yeah so if you're yeah. managing somebody you are you know you are dictating what is going on and actually that's the exact opposite of what we want to achieve we want to lead them, yes. We want to facilitate their engagement, yes. We, but manage, I think manage is, is too strong a word. I don't like it and I don't use it on principle. It's kind of like putting a box around people and saying, well, you're, you're not allowed in and out of this box and I'm going to control your entry or exit route to communication yeah. with people. And it's a really it's quite a, an old-fashioned term, I'd suggest, in this context, isn't it? So I need if to there are elements it. that you manage, like a, like a comms plan, you would mm. actively manage a communications plan. Absolutely, yes. But actually, that's a living document as well. So I just, I, yeah. I, I don't think it's giving out the right impression if we say that not only are we going to call you a stakeholder, but we're going to actively so, manage you. What should we call it then? Oh <laughs> uh, well, I use stakeholder relationships. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I talk about establishing and then maintaining and then enhancing 
those relationships with those stakeholders and they all start at different places and they all go in different directions and there has to be some element of commonality because otherwise we wouldn't get we can't do one-to-one on with everybody mm. but actually it's about it's about getting to a point where those relationships are mature enough for for that trust to develop yeah yeah i like that I think as well, it, it is interesting because what is another word for stakeholder? You see, I also don't like user, which is, let's face it, user is a category of stakeholder. So that's mm-hmm. absolutely great, isn't it now, that we're now using all these sorts of terms, as you said, Jonathan, to just categorise people. Mm. You know? and, and I think sometimes in doing that, it gives us a distance and that makes the engagement more difficult because... Mm. In having that distance in place, then we can, as you said, Pip, we can really use and misuse the word management. And it also allows us to think of everybody as being the same. So everybody who is a stakeholder in the end user category, we manage in this way. Mm -hmm. And that really depersonalizes. And I have a problem with that. But then what is an alternative word for stakeholder? I mean, I don't have any ideas other than people. And human, human management, <laughs> human relationship engagement is kind of, what would you call it? It's wrong, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you could say human centric as a sort of a or human centricity, but that almost sounds like you're... It probably t- becomes like a spotlight on the whole of the world, doesn't it then, rather than, yes. you know, what, what we're trying to it's put some boundary around. It's reminding me a little bit of the name change between personnel management and human resource management. And it was tempting, I think, in the name change to be more human centric because of the, the, the human element. I'm not sure it quite succeeded in terms of its actual approach. Um, I think in places it did, but maybe in some places it didn't. Um, human, isn't it? Because have you? And I know I've asked you this before, Jonathan, but there's a book called Sapiens. There are shout Oh, yes. Um, and it's about the history of humankind. And that's the thing, you see, when you say human, I see it now within this context of, you know, thousands and thousands of years of development of humankind. And so I've got, you know, I'm not Jonathan with a stake through the heart. I'm me with Neanderthal man coming somewhere into the picture. So it's, I find human a tricky word as well. Yeah, so it's quite, just that word, these words have different perspectives, don't they? Yeah. I've not really thought about what if we're not going to call them stakeholders because my issue was focused on management. I didn't realize, didn't think about the the stakeholder bit. Yeah, yes. So it, it is interesting, and I think, I mean, obviously, we use these terms so that we have a certain common way of communicating about what we're trying to do. But I think for me, what we must never do is depersonalize. And and Jonathan, you you uttered the magic word perspective. Ah, yes, I thought you might pick up on that one. Of course, I was going to pick up on that. Because <laughs> that's really important too, is to think of people as individuals with individual views, beliefs, values, etc., etc. I think it's um, really useful thinking about techniques that we might use or tools that we might use to explore these stakeholders as people, particularly like the the CATWO when we look at that because you're forced to really think about that person's perspective Mm. and whilst I for the majority of the times I don't write it down it's not something that I necessarily want everybody to see but to run through the different letters and really think actually what are they trying to get out of this what is 
what is their reality? Because their reality could be completely different from mine or completely different from other people that we've spoken to. Yeah. And, and the whole thing around their personal background and experience and values and beliefs, you know, that that very much in, should and does influence me in the way that I, I approach people, I talk to people, you know, it, it impacts decisions on what I wear or where I meet them or the the language that I use to talk to them and I think it's you know we we should rightly be taking time to think about this when mm. you know when we're when we're dealing with people I, I think a lot of people do do that they, they do spend time thinking about their stakeholder and and what's in it for them and what's their their perspective but there seems to be an aversion to use the technique of catway which I I think it's, it's one of these marmite techniques that some people really like and, and love and others seem to dismiss. And I think when you get you get under the kind of under the hood on catwalk, it's all about perspective. It's all about seeing the world from someone else's worldview. And, and for some reason, there's an aversion to it as a technique with some practitioners. But, but they'll then agree that it's absolutely essential to know what the view is of the stakeholder, but they don't like catwalk. So it's a kind of alternative techniques that might might be more plausible for some people that don't like catwoe something like an empathy map where you've you're thinking about a stakeholder and, and thinking about what do they say what do they do what do they think and what do they feel and it's a four box grid you, you'd create it for a for an individual st stakeholder or human <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but we're then we're then trying to put ourselves in their shoes what it loses though, and, and some aspects of the catway that it loses, it doesn't think about the customer and it doesn't think about the owner and it doesn't think about what do they want in the target state. So it's it's a technique for a little bit of the element of catway, the worldview maybe, but doesn't cover all of the nuances of the catway technique. So it, it's it's an additional technique, but I wouldn't use it entirely instead of mm. thinking about the, the catway. I have used it in the past with that stakeholder to try and direct to get that information out of them and, mm. and then used it to expand within my area of work but if a if a if a stakeholder is um i don't know not reluctant necessarily but finding it difficult to express how they feel about something then i say you know it doesn't have to be it can be in pictures it, it can be in sounds it can be in how you feel it doesn't have to be you know in any prescribed format and quite often i'll use a, an empathy map kind of grid to say this gives us, this will give me a whole picture of you, which I can then use to inform what I do going forward. I do, don't use it as often as Catwo, but I have been known to use it. Yeah. Mm. It is interesting because I really think worldview analysis is something that has come to the fore more and more over the last 10, 15 years. And a lot of people now talk about worldviews um, I was listening to a podcast the other day, an interview with a celebrity or something, and they talked about the worldview that they had on a particular situation. And I thought business analysis is winning, basically. Um, I'm not sure Peter Checkland, who devised soft systems methodology, would agree it was just business analysis that was winning, but it's my take. But, <laughs> you know, the thing I love about that technique is I always think, who is this person's customer? I mm -hmm. always think that yeah yeah number of times the answer is themselves and that's, that's powerful isn't it that's it really is. powerful and yeah. they often identify other other um traits or other stakeholders in a light that i hadn't previously seen them 
yeah. which is really useful. Yeah, no, it really is. And, I, you know, that standing in people's shoes and understanding where they're coming from and therefore what they're perceiving, there's something so powerful about that because mm. that can really help you work with and engage with people who you might term, and here's another one, difficult stakeholders. Do you know what I mean? And actually, sometimes when you stand in people's shoes and you look at the world through their eyes, that looks mm. a bit different. Mm. Mm. And I, I, I think it's right to empathise with the difficult stakeholder and absolutely see their worldview. But there are some that you can empathise to an extent, but they're, they're just not very nice as individuals. There's <laughs> some utterly, and I've worked with some of them, utterly horrid individuals in this world that that I think you know are not they're not acting in with positive intent towards the organization or towards their colleagues or towards any of the other stakeholders just acting with their own self-interest and and to be really quite nasty and, and there's a certain stakeholders like that that I think you can empathize with to an extent but there's a spectrum of them and, and some of them you just walk in their shoes for a little while you can start to understand some of their frustrations and, and they have got positive intent and I do want to talk about a little bit about positive stakeholders as well because I've worked with some fantastic stakeholders that I've absolutely worked with again and again they've been trusting respectful they listen they're willing to learn with you they'll admit mistakes and you could admit mistakes to them they'll they, they'll admit their deficiencies and and, and they've got strengths and, and you work with them and it's just like two plus two equals seven and it, it's it's really great fun and you get great outcomes. I've obviously got experience with a very, what I'm calling difficult as well, some really unpleasant characters out there as well in the world. I think that's really interesting because I've worked with several stakeholders who I would term would fall into both of those, both that you've just described. They are very difficult stakeholders. Mm. But actually, once you can break through, and that's for me is the skill, it's not all about empathy. It's mm. about communication in its broader mm. sense. But once you can break through and you can get through to that person, that productivity can be enormous. Now, I've worked with some people who I love to bits. I hate working with them. <laughs> I cannot stand working with them. But actually, when you get to them, they're wonderful people and they are doing what they consider to be the best thing. Now, it may not be the best thing as far as I'm concerned or you're concerned or the project at large is concerned. This goes back to the worldview and who the customer is. But actually, if you can, the, the sad thing is in most of the places of projects I've worked, we don't have that time to break through to those people, but they have turned into being the, one of the champions. You know, those people who really turn into be the leaders within their within their sphere of influence. Yeah. And I think there are so many different definitions of difficult, aren't there? Um, and it would change on who you are as well. Just to pick up on a point there, Pip, you mentioned time and you've got to invest time in the relationship. Yeah. And it's, it's, if you don't invest the time, you don't get the richness of the relationship. You don't get the, the communication, as you say, that it, you, you get kind of a level of communication, but not the depth of communication that you maybe do need in order to progress things forward and, and to move things forward in a positive way. Um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, one of the books I'm currently reading is um, Talking with Strangers. Um, and it's, uh, 
It's a book about trying to understand other people's perspectives and, and their behaviours and, and taking certain behaviours as face value, and we tend to do that quite often. But then it says, well, what's underneath their behaviour? And do you really understand what's motivating someone's behaviour? And there's loads of themes in the book. It's just one of the themes. But there's so much that we can learn from books like this mm. that, that we, you know, we should be talking about these things a bit more and trying to advance our skill set, I think, in business analysis business change yeah I, th I think that's that's exactly right because when when we're talking here I must admit my head is thinking you know sometimes people are difficult stakeholders within a context mm. and that can be an organizational culture that is underlying that you know and it can be that maybe they're really worried about the outcome and how it's going to affect them because they're worried they could lose their, their job or, or the role that they're in or something like that, which again comes back to empathy then, doesn't it? And so all these things sort of tie together, I think. And the more tools and techniques we can gain for thinking about these things, you know, I agree with you, Pip, you know, Capo, I don't think I've written those letters forever actually in my head though it's yeah. constantly um and you know another model that i really like is the thomas kilman conflict positions model because mm. i use that in situations to ask myself what's the perspective and where is this person standing with regard to actually dealing with an issue mm. and some people are really nervous about dealing with issues and so they sort of ignore or run away mm. That doesn't always help. Sometimes it's okay, but a lot of the time the issue's still standing there mm. and still has to be resolved. And again, that's not a technique where I draw a matrix and start plotting people. I just make it something I, I can use to think. And I think that's why we need to read books like Jonathan's talking about and understand these techniques. Someone in that avoid position on the Thomas Kilman conflict mode. That, that won't have the conversation that maybe is a challenging conversation, but but having the conversation about the different perspectives might move things forward. Mm. Um, but I, I, I tend to use the Covey model, the, the win-lose model, lose-win, and, and you've got the co various combinations um, as, as, as my thinking approach. So is someone trying to be in a win-lose situation they want me to lose, or are we both going to end being a lose-lose? or I'm trying to win and they're trying to lose or a win-win when you're collaborating. And, and so I use that as a, as a mental model to think about engagement um, with someone else. Um, but we've all got to use our own kind of mental models, I suppose, in terms of how it is that we work our way through these complex, because they, they are complex, some of these relationships, aren't they? How do we, how do we make sense of them? Yeah. So Sometimes just it's useful to mention um when you are engaging not necessarily that these are models that we have in our heads and that we use but to use some of those phrases say actually what is your ideal what what is your ideal outcome you know what is it once you get to that point where you can have that proper conversation do you want me to lose as in do you want this project to fail because actually if you do that's a really valuable piece of information and you should you you should feel safe to say that to me because that allows me to understand what it is that you want to achieve, because if that's the case, we're not going to achieve it. We need to explore what your next best, what your next best outcome is. And, yeah. you know, you have to be confident both with that stakeholder and what you're saying and how you're going to deal with the outcome. But I think I think there's a lot of people who are afraid to have some of those courageous conversations. 
It's a, you, you make me think there, Pip, about, I think the technique's called BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Yeah. It's kind of, you just made me think about it in terms of, well, let's explore the alternatives then. If we can't agree, what, what, what might be the alternative that we'd agree on? Um, yeah. That could be quite useful there. I think, um, Debbie, have I got that right? Um, the no, BAT no, Yuri and Fisher get yeah. a, yes, it's one of their techniques. Mm. Again, a fabulous book and one that I, I really recommend to people mm. as well. So I think we've sort of come to the point where we've understood that there are issues here, but actually we've identified, identified some really, really nice techniques that people can use to think about it and hopefully do something with it. So I think I need to call it to a halt there, but, but thank you for that, because that, that was a really interesting discussion. And I hope it's been good for the people um, watching this, because it certainly made me think and if any of you out there do want to get involved with the BA Brew to take part, as Pip has, or to send us ideas, then please do feel free. We'd love to hear from you at babrew at assistkd.com. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, for watching the BA Brew. We've had a brilliant year making our various episodes, and we thought, as we are coming up to the holiday season, it would be nice just to have a quick chat about what we're looking forward to. Mike, what are you looking forward to over the holiday season? I'm looking forward to uh, some in-person meetings rather than these sort of these virtual sessions. Much as though I love catching up with um, with you two and and all of our, our BA Brew audience out there uh, it'd be nice to see that people have got arms and legs and things and actually actually talk so I'm looking forward to dare I say Christmas parties might that be a bit too controversial to talk about a Christmas party um, Christmas parties seeing family um, and all of that kind of stuff really yeah Christmas party I don't know it's it's a fingers crossed at the moment isn't it because we don't mm. know what we're going to be allowed to do but um we can but wait and see. Jonathan, yeah. our Christmas elf amongst us with the non-Christmas coloured hat on. Um, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is authentic elf hat, I'll have you know, Debbie. Okay, fine. We'll <laughs> accept some, that. There's some elf somewhere with a very cold head. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking forward to, Jonathan? So, I fly to Lapland on Monday and I'm going to admit that I'm most excited about, about going to Lapland with the kids. Wow. And, and hopefully to see the big man himself. Wow. Uh, maybe a few snowball fights, uh, a husky ride possibly, who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, ride. I can't wait. I've never been and yeah, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Do you mean a sleigh ride pulled by huskies? Well, maybe. Or do you actually sit on the huskies? That seems a bit <laughs> mean. <laughs> Are they very big huskies? I don't intend to hurt any animals, but <laughs> Excellent. That's really good. Well, you enjoy you? yourself. <laughs> what about you, Debbie? What am I looking forward to? I mean, pretty much the same as Mike, really, because I don't live near a lot of my family. So actually being able to see some of them would be really nice because I couldn't see most of them last year. And that was so odd. So being able to see my family because I don't live that close to them, um, particularly one of them who lives in America, <laughs> um, that's going to be such a real treat. And to be honest with you, just putting my feet up. Um, so I think about, I don't know, 25th of December, about six o'clock, I will be there with my feet up and, and that will be a wonderful moment. Brilliant. 
Brilliant. Um, yeah. Debbie, can you explain your sign to us? I can. My sign comes from a gift shop in Bettisacoid, uh, which is in North Wales, which is a lovely place. And the sign reads, and I would ask us to say it together, but you know, Mike, you're reasonably good. Jonathan, I, well, what do I say? But it actually says Nadolig Llawen, which means Merry Christmas in Welsh. <laughs> so, so Nadolig Llawen. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to the lessons. <laughs> but brave attempt there, Jonathan. Brave attempt. I'm, I'm not sure I dare. I think uh, I'm, I, I can, at best, I might equal you, but I'm certainly not going to exceed that. So, shall, I, shall I try it? Yes, you did it well. Sorry, Mike, I spoke over you. Say it again. That's it. Uh, only one shot, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's now Dolly Clown. Very good, very good. Yeah, I'm impressed. So right. yes, so basically, um, what we wanted to say to everybody was Nadolly Clown, Merry Christmas, or Happy Holidays, however you're going to celebrate the festive season. And just to sign off for this year, we thought it would be fun to have a good stocking filler competition. So please go on to our LinkedIn group and wish us a Merry Christmas. And we will then select at random one person who will receive a copy of, yes, Business Analysis Techniques 123 Essential Tools for Success. We'll be putting that in the post to somebody as soon as we can in the new year. Other than that, thanks ever so much for tuning into the BA Brew this year. We have had really good fun making it but we've also learned a lot along the way from so many interesting people and i hope you have too other than that see you in 2022 bye thanks everyone bye have a good holiday <laughs>